0: You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Through
1: every battle, every heartbreak through every circumstance I believe that you are my fortress you are my portion you are my hiding place I believe you are the way the truth the life I believe you are the way, the truth, the life, I believe through every blessing, through every promise, through every breath I take, I believe that you are provider, you are protector are the one i love i believe you are the way the truth
0: Church, how's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. So, my name is Jeremiah, I'm one of the pastors here. If uh, you're visiting with us this morning, we just want to let you know that we really appreciate that you're here and that um, we have a a visitor card we'd like you to fill out. We have a special gift for you out outside, and we're just glad you're here. So, I'm just going to be real quick this morning. Even though we're in the middle of this pandemic, even though the, the numbers don't seem like they're going in the right direction and those things like that. We still believe that the church exists for a reason, and we still believe that the church is moving forward. And so we have so many things going forward that we're going to be able to wisely move forward. I mean, the middle school kids are uh, leaving for camp tomorrow. We have women's retreat coming up. Uh, one of the most important things, one of our most biggest ministries in this area, is going to be uh, that we do in this church is VBS, Vacation Bible School. And that's July 24th through the 26th. We're doing it over a weekend this year. We need lots of help. We need some resources. We need some things uh, to, to take place. Listen to this. 70% of churches in the United States that normally do Vacation Bible School this summer will not be doing it. Just, they've just they canceled. And of the ones that are doing it, most of them are going to be online. So this is an opportunity for us to really reach the community with the gospel and reach out to families. And so we're asking the entire church to step up and to help us, but not only just to participate, but also prayer. I I believe the most important thing that we can do for this year's VBS is to get on our knees, to get on our face before God and cry out to him and believe that he is going to do something uh, incredible in this church, through this church, to our community. So, we're going to pray uh, right now. We're glad you're here. We're glad that uh, even though there's a new order about masks and and all those things that's come from the government, and whether we agree with it or not, and all that stuff. I'm just i'm 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 glad you're here, and we're going to worship the Lord this morning. We're going to receive the Word of God this morning. Amen. And uh, and we're gonna try to leave that stuff outside. So we're gonna open up in prayer. We're gonna pray for VBS and pray and invite God's spirit for this morning. Can you do that with me? All right, thanks. Uh, dear Lord and heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> God, I thank you for Ebenezer Baptist Church and for all the people that it represents. Lord, I know that there's a lot of stuff going on in this world and we're being berated with everything from racial tension uh, to the pandemic numbers going up, to all kinds of things going up. But this morning, we want to move all that stuff outside and say, God, we're here to worship. We're here to gather as your church. And we're, we're here to worship you. We're here to be filled by you. We're here to receive your word. And God, we ask you to speak through Pastor Bob this morning as he exposes your word to us, God, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to us here. Join us together. Empower us in Jesus Christ's name. Lord, we lift up VBS, all the volunteers, and all the kids. We ask that you would draw lost kids to this church, God, however we need to reach them, our neighbors, our schoolmates, our our kids as friends god however we need to get kids to this church god so that we can share the gospel with them during vacation bible school and we can share the love god for an activity when everything else is shut down that we can safely and wisely still conduct this activity and share the gospel with our community so god we pray over it we ask you to protect it we ask you to raise up volunteers to raise up laborers to come into this field And God, we just ask you that miracles would take place, that we would see people come to faith in Christ and come into the kingdom this summer. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.
2: Hear what Psalm 18 says about the Lord. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from all my enemies.
1: My hope is built on nothing, it's sound
2: the lord let's give him a hand clap of praise this morning he deserves praise for that not because this band is so good and great, plays great music but because our god is the solid rock that we can depend on he's our fortress and our shield and our protector and the one that we can turn to in everything in everything no matter what the circumstances are no matter what's happening in our country or in our community or even in our own homes or even in our own hearts we can completely turn to god and trust Him in every part of it because He's not out of control for even a second. Amen? Yeah.
3: There's a grace when the heart is undefined Sweet. that bears the bird.
1: What remains of me and this wrecked me?
3: you been to me Count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be Count the joy from every battle Cause I know that's where you'll
2: be Almighty God, I praise you this morning because you are the same God who stood in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego God, you didn't deliver them from it, but you are with them through it. And so, Father, while there are times in my life, honestly, where I really wish you would just deliver me from a battle, I know that there's something you're doing in the middle of it. There's something you're teaching me. There's something you're showing me about your faithfulness and your goodness and your holiness. There's something you're doing there to refine me and make me more like you. So, Father, as we look at the circumstances that surround us, whether it's something completely out of our control or whether it's something that was kind of our fault, God, remind me, remind all of us to look to you, to lean into you, to trust you, and to battle in your strength through it. Because you promised us the victory already. I praise you, and I pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ.
4: Amen. Good morning, church. How are you? Good. I think that's good. Most of you, that's good. Kind of hard to see um, the smiles this morning, and... And um, I was telling Diane on the way in because she said good morning. It was like good morning back, but you can't read my lips, so it makes it difficult to to be able to do that. Um, but God is God is good, and uh, this morning we're starting a new series called the Upside. Now here's here's the deal: um, we live in a world that seems to be just crazy, insane with with things that are falling apart in chaos. And if we dwell on those things, and Jeremiah has already alluded to it, if we dwell on those things, then we can, we can find ourselves very depressed. Um, we can find ourselves sort of isolated and, and feeling as if the world is really, really big, I'm really, really small, and there's absolutely nothing I can do except just survive. And hopefully I'll be able to do that. And so we find ourselves in this really strange place in history where uh, the things around us uh, almost seem like they're falling apart. And we in the church, we know if we look at Scripture, we know that there is some hope. But we also realize that when we walk away from reading Scripture, when we get away from that at all, then, then we can find ourselves in a bad spot. A bad place, and so the this series called the Upside is going to be looking through the Book of First John. And First John um, is a letter written by John the Apostle, and it is a an uplifting letter to those that were receiving it. It wasn't addressed to a particular church, although it probably was um, to a particular church, but it was more a letter to be circulated, and it was a, a letter to be circulated as a word of encouragement to those that should be relying on Christ and be certain of their salvation. And so what we find in 1 John five thirteen, I write these things so you may know you have eternal life. And that believing on Christ, you would have that. And so he writes that, and, and we see in, in chapter 2 where he writes about, I write to you fathers, I write to you young men, and it's all this idea of here's what is expected because you belong to Christ and understanding that there are forces from outside that want to push on that and want to influence that and want to affect that so that you become ineffective in your walk. And John is going to remind us of what Jesus did and how he affects us and how he should affect us in the world around us that seems to be going crazy. And so John writes this, and he's writing it to the folks of that day, but I think it's very applicable to what we find ourselves in today. Because if if you are like me, um, I can I can watch a news station, and it really doesn't matter which one. And I can find myself wanting to crawl under the covers or under the pillows, or um, actually like under the couch. Um, I can find myself wanting to do that, and then I've realized that. That if I go to scripture, there is a bigger God than the circumstances around me. And so, John writes this. Um, we're, what we're going to find is he's writing and addressing a certain issue in, um, in that particular culture. It's, uh, it's an issue that we can make transferable principles from that we, we see. He's writing about Gnostic thought, which essentially says that, that God is unknowable. And that the things that are material are evil, and so what they did is they separated out the spiritual from the material, and they said if everything material is evil, then then there are certain things that we don't have to worry about, and certain things that we do have to worry about. And then um, salvation comes as you are reintegrated into God after you die. It's it's a kind of a strange thought, but what they did is is they they're Their idea was to separate out their behavior from their relationship with God and then not claim certain things as truth. And so John writes to to engage them in this. It's a letter of encouragement to believers. It's strong in its pastoral message. And it reminds us that Jesus came in the flesh and it was God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And so John is writing from that perspective to encourage believers. It says in John 1.14, so we find that same writer, John the Apostle, writing this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the premise of 1 John, which is a much shorter book, it's not really the account of Jesus' life, but it is a pastoral letter to direct the church, comes out of that same thought, that Jesus is who He says He is, and by looking at His life and the understanding of His life, the signs and the miracles that He did, then we can believe that Jesus is exactly the Son of God, and trusting in Him, we get salvation. And So let's, uh, let's jump into this. Um, let's go ahead and read the first part of 1 John. 1 um, John is found after the two letters to, to Peter. And um, so if we get into this, if you were to go to Revelation and flip back just a little bit, you'll find 1 John. So 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So we're going to stop right there and just understand the first part of our outline this morning is that God physically engaged us God physically engaged us he, if you look at that the this idea of we have seen with our eyes but not just that we have actually touched if if you think back to this idea of wanting to be in God's presence or wanting God's presence around we find that in several places in scripture uh, we find it um, in one place where Moses is dealing with it and if you remember, if you look at Exodus chapter 32 and 33, in chapter 32, um, Moses has been to Mount Sinai and come back down, found that they've, they've crafted this golden calf. And on the back end of that, God tells them that I want to send you up toward the land that I promised you. And Moses gets into a discussion with God because out of that he says, I will send an angel, but Moses presses the issue. And he, and he presses into God and says, God, I, I don't I, I understand that your people have really messed up. And they're going to suffer the consequences of their sin. And this is, this is what it says, starting in verse 12 of Exodus 33. It says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet you have said... You, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in, in your sight. So We're getting into this discussion, and, and again, Moses is pressing in. He's saying, consider, too, that this nation is your people. It's not that God needed to be reminded. It's not that God needs to be reminded that we belong to him under the banner of Jesus Christ, if we've trusted Him for our salvation. God does not need to be reminded of that. He knows that, just like He knew this. And He said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And He said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. So, so it's, it's as if Moses is laying down this line says, God, if you're not coming, I ain't going. If you don't lead this, then forget it. I'm out of here. And he, and so he says, I will go if your presence will go. It says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And we would say Two, that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're part of the family of God. We have a relationship with Him that is living and active. And we are not like those that don't have a relationship with Christ. There is a difference. Or there ought to be a difference. If you don't see a difference between your life in Christ and others that are outside of Christ, then the question is, do you have life in Christ? Because there ought to be a difference. Now, you're still going to probably do some stuff that will be like the world, but you don't dwell there. You don't stay there. So verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. That's a bold request. It's not that Moses is coming at this from some strange place. Yeah, he's been in the presence of God. It says in chapter 32 that he spent time with God. And they were face to face like a man talks with a man. They would talk. So it's not that Moses had this weird relationship with God where he had never really spent time with her, Him or anything. So he's, he's wanting to see more of God. And maybe the the fault of the church at this point is we are very satisfied with whatever is placed in front of us, and we never declare, God, I want more of you. Maybe that's where this church is. We, We become very complacent and comfortable if everything goes the way we want it to go, instead of saying, God, make us uncomfortable in the place where we want more of you. We want to see your glory, and we're not satisfied with anything less than that. God, I want to see your glory. Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and While my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. How many times have you asked for God to show you His glory and been willing to be in the presence of God? And maybe it is, that you don't feel worthy to see the glory of God. See, I know my life. I look in the mirror. I'm not worthy to ask for God's glory because I realize that there's such a difference between the way I live and the God who is perfect and holy and almighty. So we don't ask for it. But we need to. We need to be in that place where we have a burning desire to see the presence of God and His glory. Francis Thompson wrote a, um, a famous poem, and it's about a, a man who seeks after other things. And it's, there's some strange terminology in here, but it talks about God and God's pursuit. And he looks for satisfaction and love in a myriad of places, and said, yet God pursues. And this is the way it reads, with unhurrying chase. An unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. It says, fancies as lost I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. Halts by me that footfall. Is my gloom, after all, shades of his hand outstretched caressingly. Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. Thou dravest love from me, who dravest me. And the idea behind that is you have pushed me away, you've pushed God away, and you've sought in all these other places something that will satisfy. And yet, what Thompson, what Francis Thompson writes, he says, in the very end, it is God who is pursuing me. The poem is called The Hound of Heaven. And, and it's this idea that God is relentless in his pursuit of us. And so as much as we would want to see God's glory, we understand that God is pursuing us at the same time. So it's not that God says, hey, you can ask for it, but I don't care about you. It's a, you ask for it, I will give it to you because I want to be that close to you that you feel my presence and see me at work. And we, we back off a little bit. John 20, 27 is that episode where Thomas is in that upper room post-resurrection. And he's just not sure about the presence of Jesus. He says, I, I won't believe until I see the scars. And you know how that plays out. Jesus shows up and he says, here, touch him. Go for it. I'm as real as I'll ever get. And see, the Gnostics believed that there was a separation between reality or the physical presence of Jesus and his his being, if you will. And they didn't believe that he was physically here. And what we see in here is we see the glory of God, God made flesh showing up in a room and telling Thomas, I am here, go ahead and touch me, I am physical. God physically engaged us, and it says it was made manifest to us. It was visible, it realized, it showed up. It was more than a ghostly image or a hologram. It was real, and it was firsthand knowledge. Paul wrote about this in Philippians 2, that God abandoned the heavenly places, the heavenly privilege, to be a servant among men. And the way our culture looks at it, if God exists at all, and there is a pushback on whether even God exists, he's if He does exist, then He's aloof and uninterested and irrelevant and unable to deal with the evil that we see around us. In fact, I read something this week that actually called Jesus, or it was a call to take down everything that's Jesus um, because he was listed in their terms, a white supremacist. And I'm like, come on. His testimony that we proclaim is that God is a pursuing God, a chasing God, a caring God that is eternal in his nature, and he does not distinguish between Jew or Gentile. He chases us. He chases everyone. And I don't see any distinction in Scripture that says he chases one over the other. God chases man because He wants man to be connected to Him. And that's our proclamation. The results are both fellowship with God and man. Look at the last part of that. Your fellowship is with us, but it's also with God through Jesus Christ. God physically engages us. The second thing is that God personally invites us in verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from Him. jesus in the flesh here we've beheld him we've seen him we've touched him he's physically present and then he makes this turn and says god is light and in him there is no darkness at all and what he's saying is we you can walk with god and it can be physical that is a possibility and then he describes the character of god that god is light so he personally invites us into this fellowship. With God that is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So what is John referring to? What does this language indicate? Well, the first thing is that there's a purity in God's character. There's a purity in his character. It also brings hope. Psalm twenty-seven one says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So he's not just a God that is over here and and just out there. And pure, but He's a God that offers salvation and allows us to have fellowship with Him. Allows us to have relationship with Him. Third thing is that God gives direction. Out of this is God is light. He gives direction. Psalm 43.3 says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. God invites us. And gives us direction for life. And then in verse 5 of this, we have a distinction. It exposes a distinction that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Have you ever encountered someone, and and it actually could be you, encountered someone that claimed to know Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, and yet lived as if God did not exist? Or there was no evidence of new life. Um, I was thinking about this this morning, and God kind of brought something to mind. Is and it's going to sound weird, but do you remember um, in the the movie or the play or whatever, in Peter Pan, and Peter Pan has his shadow, and at one point Peter Pan and his shadow get separated. You remember that? And what does Wendy do? sews it back on, right? That, That hunt for a shadow. We've become so driven to replace God with things that we're comfortable with. It's as if we trust our shadow more than we do the presence of God. We want that attached to us. You realize that a shadow is nothing but just an image that is created by what is already present. And if we trust the shadow more than we do the light, then we're trusting just an image that's created in our image. It's essentially self-idolatry. And so what, what John is writing here is he says you can make a verbal profession but it not be a heart profession of faith. It's not an intellectual ascent um, where my brain understands it. It is an acceptance of who Jesus is and what he does for us. So when John writes this, that God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. See, walking, that idea of lifestyle, Walking in darkness is inconsistent with fellowship with God. There's an inconsistency. So if God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we walk in darkness, then it is hard to have fellowship with the Father. Ephesians 5, 8 and 9 says, For at time, at a one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then Paul drives it home. He says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light in, is, in, is found in all that is good and right and true. Isaiah the prophet would say the same thing. He says, walk in the light of the Lord in Isaiah two five. And this, this idea of fellowship is that Greek word koinonia. It's that sharing in common if we walk alongside God. to to have that fellowship with Him that is vibrant, where we're no longer trusting the shadow that is created by us, but we're trusting the light in God and who He is. We are conduits of the message. It says, and we proclaim this, this idea that this message of relationship with God, with a physical God that was present, is a message that we proclaim. And believe we proclaim the gloriousness of our walk with God. So John John would ask you the question like he would ask the, the readers of this is are you proclaiming the gloriousness of walking in fellowship with God? Or does it become hard for you to do that because that walk is not present? And I want to say that this This idea of trusting Christ, it's not a declaration. When you proclaim this, of walking with God, it's not a declaration that things are all easy. Christian life is not set up to be easy. Christian life is about the hard things that you go through in in the idea that God is maturing and perfecting us to be like his son Jesus. So there's a lie if somebody says that following Christ is easy. It probably, life probably gets more difficult as you seek to bring glory to the Father. But it is a declaration of peace. So it's not a declaration of easy. It's a declaration of peace. And so you become conduits of the message that we have heard and seen. The third thing, Not only does God physically engage us and personally invite us, but God perfectly realigns us. Verse 8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and the Word is not in us. Now, when we, when we share Jesus Christ and we share the plan of salvation or we share the gospel, one of the things that we would always say is, do you have to teach a young child how to sin? We say, no, you don't have to teach a child. They, they come by it very naturally. When, um, when Becca was young, she, she would do things like um, she'd walk in, she would say, I love you to Debbie. I love you. And then she would turn around and say, can I have a cookie? And there was a deception in there. There was a a manipulation in there. We didn't have to teach her how to do that. And and you don't have to teach children how to sin. They come by that naturally. It's a, a nature that they are born with. And so we don't convince anybody. However, if you change the definition of sin, and this is what the, the Gnostics would look at, and they would say, if we change the definition of sin, then we're not liable for it. And we, we kind of live in, in that world, and um, we live in a world of shifting moral standards. If I can change the definition of a particular sin, then it must not be sin. And so, so if we look at Scripture and we read Scripture, we say, certainly the Word of God, the Bible, we can see our sin. But if the standard shifts, if it moves over, we can deem ourselves on solid ground. Right? So if we can set the Bible aside and, and we can categorize things as not sin, in that way, I can live in a manner pleasing to me. Um, there there are some examples. Um Because when you do that, you become the ultimate authority about what sin is and what pleasure is. So the, the example, one example would be, I can rationalize gossip as a prayer request. I've got something I want to share with you. And I want you to really pray about it. I heard this. Have you ever been part of one of those discussions? And we go, that's not sin, that's sharing a prayer request. But if it, if it is gossip, then it's sin. So if we can change the definition just slightly, we can rationalize it. And we, And it happens all the time. It can happen on a bigger stage. If we say it's about women's rights that abortion is okay, we can change the definition of murder, of the unborn. It's a rationalization to make it okay. And so we we can look at those things and we say we, we look at this and we say John we don't have a problem with this idea of sin. Oh, but we do when we rationalize that sin and change the definition. We make it seem or say what we want it to say. So John writes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. It's the idea of wandering off a path that is set. Um Deb and I have done a little bit of hiking lately and and, um, what we found is that we better look at the map before we get on the trail. We we better do that beforehand because if we get out on the trail and we don't really know where we're going, there's no telling where we'll end up. And, And we're not of the age that we can hike forever. You know, at 20, I could stand the five or six hours or something of getting lost I can't do that now you'd find me flat so I have to look at a map to know where I'm going the idea that that John is writing about here when he says you deceive yourselves is the idea of not knowing where the path is and then wandering off that path so if I take this and say okay this is the path I need to follow I need to look at scripture but at some point I put that map down and I decide to go my own direction, I can easily wander off the path that keeps me going to the destination that I want to get to. And so when John writes this, you deceive yourselves, it's the idea of taking, your se- taking that starting point and changing it. And we need a starting point when we're going down a path if we're going to find out the destination. When I plug into GPS, the first thing it asks me is, where are you starting? Because I can tell you where the destination is, but I can't give you directions if I don't know the starting place. And the starting place for us is Scripture. It's not anything else. It's not the shadow that is beside us. It's not my own thoughts about what is okay. It's not my own rationalization about what might be fine for the culture I live in. It is God's Word. Denial of sin leads to a denial of personal responsibility. Glenn Barker put it this way, when the sin principle is denied, truth as a principle of life cannot exist in us. So what's the upside? What's the upside in all this? Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the assumption on John's part is that you can be in relationship with the Father and still sin. So John does not deny that that sin takes place, and you can't claim that you don't sin. What John is saying is you do. Um, However, God, out of His goodness and His mercy, has provided a way for forgiveness and cleansing. It's the the removal of, the removal of the penalty of that sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. The um, have you ever walked on a beach that was slightly slanted? You ever done that? And and as you walk, if you are walking side by side with somebody, what eventually happens is you start you start bumping each other, right? Because it's hard to walk a straight line on a slanted on a slanted beach or a slanted road or something like that you you start to start to bump one another as you go and it's like move over there you know you're sweaty leave me alone what however that looks and 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 you're walking and you need to be realigned it's the same way in a car when your car is out of alignment it pulls to a side and this What is said in verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness is a realigning, a perfect realigning of our lives. It pulls us back into fellowship with God. And so realigning to a walk with God is is a way to stay alive. It's a way to bring life into a place where it is really hard to live. Realigning to a walk with God is that is alive brings healing for isolation and loneliness so if you want to deal with isolation and loneliness in the context we're in right now start walking with god in a more fervent manner it brings relief for guilt and shame it brings a confidence and security because this is what we know that god is personal he's personal God is pursuing us. He's relentless. He's the hound of heaven that chases after us relentlessly. But He's also a protecting God. So what do I need to do to have myself in a place where I'm realigned to God, that I'm walking with Him in fellowship with Him, and able to deal with the idea that the world around me is chaotic, but I need something to hold on to. I need an anchor. I need a foundation. So our response to God's invitation at this for realignment and being brought into this ongoing walk with Him that John describes here is that we ask God to remove the blinders so that we can see our sin and in so seeing our sin, Confess. Because that's the key in 1 John John 1.9. So we say, God, remove those blinders. Help me to see my sin. And then I want to confess or agree with you about that sin. And then I want to turn from it. Second thing we can do is we can move forward by developing that walk with God. The other thing that Deb and I have learned about hiking, is that my steps are bigger than her steps. And, and, is, and, and although we may be going up a hill or down a hill or something, there's a pace that is different between me and her. In fact, we have different mentalities with regards to pace, but just the, the sheer strides that we take means that we are on a different pace. And so we have to, we have to constantly check that. And if we're going to develop a walk with God and be in pace with Him, then then we do certain things. We spend time. We found that the, the longer we hike, the more we get used to that, and there's an adjustment that's made periodically to keep us side by side or at the right pace. And so if you're going to walk with God and you want to get in on His pace, then you spend time with God. So I want to encourage you not just to say God remove the blinders and help me to confess but to physically spend time with him more than you have. So I want to encourage you to read through 1 John regularly as we go through this four week series. Another way to do that would be to commit to a devotional or to reading a book that would drive you to a more vital, rela- or vibrant relationship with Jesus. The last thing is to guard your heart. Michael mentioned it last week and we we're talking about dads and uh, the whole idea of guarding the heart, your heart as a father and then guarding the heart of your children is to guard your heart, remain aligned in obedience to the Word of God. So God wants to take care of us. He has physically engaged us as the Son of God. He is personally inviting us into relationship with Him, which is incredible. The God of all universe wants relationship with me. That's incredible. But then as I start to drift away from that walk with Him, He wants to realign me so that my pace is with Him and that I'm I'm keeping up and I'm doing what God has asked me to do. We do live in a chaotic time. But walking with God is the key to surviving it and thriving through it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for how you lead us. Father, thank you for physically engaging us by allowing your son to come and being a servant among us, going so far as to die A criminal's death on the cross. And Father, we know that you, God, have given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So physically, we know that Jesus showed up. Father, beyond that, you invite us into relationship with you. And not just a relationship of passing occasionally, but into a relationship with you that becomes a walk, a lifestyle of something that is ongoing. And so, Father, as you've called us to yourself, we may need to deal with sin in our life this morning. We say we have no sin, we lie. We don't practice the truth. And you call us to be reminded that Sometimes our walk gets disturbed by us trusting us. And so, Father, I pray this this morning in this time of invitation that there's somebody that doesn't know you. Father, today would be the day that they would trust you. They would stick around for a few minutes after we're done and have a conversation about what it means to trust Christ. Father, for others of us in this room, it may be that we just need to spend some time with you and get realigned to who you are. And so, Father, as we as we sing this song and think about those things, Father, drive us to our knees. Even as we if we don't come to the altar just in our seats, drive us to our knees that we would want you bad enough to say, God, I want to see your glory in my life, and I want it to make a difference. So, God, we pray that that would happen during this time and during this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Let's stand together.
1: Come out of darkness from wherever you've been.
2: Come brokenhearted, let a rescue begin.
1: Come run your mercy O sinner come kneel Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal So lay down your burdens Lay down your shame are there's joy for the morning oh sinner be still earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal earth has no sorrow
2: so much that we can come to you however we are. Father, thank you that when we bring our sin to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us, and you cleanse us of all unrighteousness, Father. Thank you for restoring the relationship with you when we confess, and just for allowing us to have a relationship with you. God, we love you, and we pray in Christ's name today. Amen. Please be seated for just a short business meeting we have.
0: Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.